welcome to T-Pids. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. T-Pids is the podcast where normally we select a VHS from either Lindsay's collection or my collection. We talk about it, but we have my lifelong friend, fellow filmmaker, actor, amateur paleontologist, attorney at law, Philip Laird. Hello, all. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Um, so what did you pick for us this week? (laughs) I picked a film that um, was a little concerning (laughs) for a number of reasons. Um, I hadn't seen it since my childhood and really only had vague recollections until we watched it. But this film is Adventures in Dinosaur City. I had never heard of this movie until... also never seen this or heard of this. And what's funny, uh, Phil, you were telling us as we were watching this, I mean, you and I have known each other since kindergarten, and yet I had never heard of this movie in all our times uh, together, and you'd actually outgrown it before we met at age six. I like to hope that's the case, because if this was like a secret I kept to myself, I mean... A dirty secret. (laughs) Really. Having watched this again, I realized why I didn't tell anybody about this. So what is Adventures in Dinosaur City? What about this tape, uh, captured the imagination of young Phil. I know you were into dinosaurs, yeah. so I'm sure that's a big part of it. And this is actually, it's worth noting, pre-Jurassic Park. The original dino film, <laughs> really. Um, no, Adventures in Dinosaur City really spoke to the dinophile and young Phil Laird. It was uh, children that seemed really cool to me. You know, they were a little older than me, so they kind of spoke to me as these kind of uh, hero figures. And then they were really into dinosaur cartoons. We had that in common. They get to go on the ultimate adventure and jump through time and dimensions to Dinosaur City. It really ties into our podcast because it's through the magic of VHS that they're able to go into Dinosaur City. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like jump through a TV. Had you heard of this before, Lindsay? Absolutely not. It is funny, though, because I'm, I'm surprised that I didn't, because it seems like something I would have loved. It it has everything you need in a kid's movie. It's got animatronic dinosaur characters. It's got love and romance. It has cartoons in it, like actually embedded in it, and time travel. Is it is it time travel? It's almost like dimensional travel, because they go into the world of the cartoon. I think that's what's referenced, at least in the trailers, that they go into a different dimension. Unless the makers of this film think that mammals and dinosaurs co- or humans and dinosaurs rather coexisted. Well, there and are plenty the, of people that believe that. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet is these dinosaurs talk, and they've got kind of crazy Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle style personalities. <laughs> Which is something I never picked up on until this watch around, that this was like a response film to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. When you yeah. had told me that there was this low-budget, live-action kids movie about dinosaurs and teenagers, I assumed it was a Jurassic Park ripoff. But mm-hmm. because this is 91 or 92, it definitely is firmly in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. So that's that's really what it's ripping off. And that's interesting in a lot of ways because you've got kung fu flipping uh, dinosaurs. You've got <laughs> jive talking dinosaurs. I'd make the argument that Jurassic Park is actually the ripoff of Adventures in Dinosaur City. I would think so, yeah. yeah. There's even an embedded cartoon in Jurassic Park with that DNA cell that talks to the kids. Mm -hmm. Only second, though, to this quality animation. We can't forget the other related film is Star Wars. There's a lot of Star Wars in this. There's a lot of very, like, almost directly ripped off scenes from Star Wars. There's one scene when they're, uh, 
when they're going through the dinosaur graveyard and they're in the spine of some ancient giant triceratops and there's like a kid falls into a swamp and is getting pulled by an unseen creature and I feel oh, like that's yeah. directly out oh, of yeah. uh, a new hope. Well, of course there's we'll get into this later but there's a certain father figure that's revealed and there's a, the villain is very Darth Vader-esque, I think. The Allosaurus, Mr. Big. A little bit Shredder-like. A little yep. bit Shredder-like, too. Yep. I think I should first start by admitting that I lose in the preview department. I'm shocked that there's no previews before Adventures in Dinosaur City. <laughs> See, I'm not, because they just... Weren't there the toys and the, like t-shirts and where's all the merchandise anyone to see this they didn't know what a hit they had on their hands with this right probably nobody agreed to yeah assign their preview to this film because they thought it would take away from their own credibility oh. or or they felt threatened by it you yeah. know yeah maybe well, they just thought well this will just will pale in comparison adventures in dinosaur city is a bit of its own opus it kind um, of yeah. uh, it tells its own story it doesn't need padding from other films good to go it just drops you straight into this crazy world so right off the bat we have these three kids um (laughs) timmy jamie and mick timmy is played by omri katz of hocus pocus a couple years before that he's by far the youngest oh yeah and then we sort of have these older kids that might be romantically involved, but they still watch cartoons with little Timmy. Yeah. My yeah. favorite part is that they're obviously a lot older, but I guess to make it believable that they're watching, sitting around watching cartoons with Timmy, they've nerded them up just to insane, uh, insane amounts. Like the girl is super pretty, but she's wearing huge glasses and mm-hmm. a retainer that she throws out at the oh, during the movie. The dramatic kissing. <laughs> we'll she, get there. When she finally becomes hot. I guess the name of the tape is just Dinosaurs. <laughs> and there's this whole, we're treated to this whole cartoon musical sequence from this tape they're watching. And you knew all the words and the dance moves to this. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's like riding a bike. Some things never leave you once you have them. And you had rented this tape from Blockbuster many times, correct? It was... You know, it wasn't Blockbuster. It was one of our obscure Visalia oh. uh, rental stores. Could I, it have been the Video Zone? I think it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, in the family section, and I have the VHS here, and the cover art really spoke to me, and yet the cover art is totally false in the sense that they show these dinosaurs to be much more dinosaur-like, where in the film they're, uh, they're pretty puppeted. They're very much regular-sized people with just, like, padding in their <laughs> genes to make it look like they have bigger... Uh, dinosaur thighs? Dinosaur thighs. Huge and then, dinosaur muscles. <laughs> then they've got huge animatronic dinosaur heads, um, except for one of the dinosaurs. It, it, it's this bizarre, like, era in, like, costume and technology where I feel like I never saw a film like this before or after, where they really, you're right, it's animatronic, and yet at the same time, it's a person in this suit the whole time. And If this was made today, it would just be a lot of really crappy CGI. I yeah. kind of find this a lot more endearing, that there's all this, these puppets, and uh, that there's a whole, like, 2D animated sequence. Oh, yeah. It goes through these different dinosaurs. There's Fury, who's a pterodactyl, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Tops, who's a triceratops. Yep. And Rex, who's a T-Rex, obviously. And there's also these cavemen people known as the Rockies. Yeah. And those are the characters of the cartoon. That's pretty much all we know about it. And Timmy's parents, who have this whole lab in the basement, 
I'm not exactly sure what they what they're experimenting with. Is it like a teleporter that they're trying to do? Yeah, it's some sort of like interdimensional travel of some sort. Yeah. In the beginning of the movie, they send an orange into, and then it shoots back, and they're excited because they were successful. But then they realize they have to go present at a science conference in two hours, so yeah. better go. I, I just want to note, these scientist parents, this orange shoots out, it breaks the orange peel open, and it's it's essentially just orange juice. And then they're, they get really excited and they say, well, now we can send humans. And I don't think that's really a sign that they're ready to send humans I think yet. maybe it's time for a mouse or something. You've proven that it can go in and out, but in what condition? Like, I feel like if the human trials, they'd come out inside out, like it's the fly yeah. or something. The other, the other thing is, what reputable scientists are just working out of their garage? They've been disowned by the scientific community at this point. I think in the trailer even Jamie comments on that saying how do your parents pay to do this or like how do they like have this like career that they're doing? How do they survive just doing weird experiments? Of course once the parents leave for their science fair uh, the kids go downstairs to watch the one VHS tape they own on the big screen. Every proper science lab utilizes the biggest screen television yeah. available oh, yeah. in totally. that decade. And this, of course, you guessed it, folks, this opens a portal to a real dinosaur city that they go through the television set. When yeah. we watch the show Dinosaurs in the movie, the world is a, a cartoon that they're watching. The, the show Dinosaurs is a two-dimensional cartoon world. And yet when they're transported <laughs> through this new dimension, it's like an entire, it's like a hybrid is created between yeah. real life and the cartoon world. And, you know, it's just interesting because what they experienced wasn't what, you know, it's not like they went back in time. These aren't real dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs that wear clothes and can talk. But it's also not a cartoon they come into. So Mm -hmm. They're watching a two-dimensional cartoon but go into a three-dimensional world. And you kind of wonder why the people making the film thought, oh, yeah, let's make this three-dimensional and have to build all these really complicated and expensive animatronic suits for our dinosaurs to wear. Like, it seems like that was a huge expense where they could have animated that entire segment of them in the dinosaur world. I don't know, but then it wouldn't be the same movie. It would feel totally different. Even the reverse argument that could be made, and that is, why did they spend money on a whole animated sequence just when they could have had the same live-action dinosaurs in the video? Yeah, I guess so it's more of a surprise when maybe, like, that's our world's view of, like, our very, like, two-dimensional view of this very complicated sore city (laughs) sort of thing. Like, that's just what we see, uh, like, a very pale representation of it. That's a good way to think of it, but I don't know if that's what they were thinking. (laughs) Are we putting more thought into it now than they did? What I'm kind of wondering, too, is did they think that this would really charm a child's imagination? Like, hey, all those cartoons you watch, if you could travel into that world, it'd be like real life. Mm -hmm. It won't look like that. That's true. I probably believed that till I was 10. I thought of a couple things when they were going into this world. One is it looks a lot like Army of Darkness when yes. they're like falling <laughs> through the portal. Like it yes. looks exactly, which was the same year, I think. And it also made me think a little bit of Nightmare Before Christmas, just in the sense <laughs> that you open the door to a holiday and you're uh-huh. in that holiday's world. According to the science of this movie, you could put in any tape and enter the world of that movie. It just, I mean, right? Isn't that kind of what's suggested? I, yeah. 
And so it just so happened that they picked like this really lame cartoon. Imagine if they mm-hmm. picked something crazy. Like, oh, absolutely. Independence Day or something. I don't know. That's what came to mind. But uh, <laughs> we meet our first dinosaur right away. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. He's, we meet the first and best one right yeah, he's away. He's a show stealer. The star of the show, hands down is 4 which is funny. This is much different than when I grew up. Obviously, when I was young, the T-Rex was the coolest guy. Rex yeah. was the hero. He was every man. He was who I wanted to be <laughs> when I grew up. But He's now, very much the Keanu Reeves of the movie. It, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. But so anyways, this time around, though, I can really appreciate the finer details about this film, and that is that Fori is truly the hero. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Fori is about a two-foot-tall pterodactyl that's got a, a kind of a psychological block uh, that prevents him from flying. He's got some sort of mental issues that He's got a lot of issues. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's probably also the most obnoxious character in the movie, too. He immediately accuses them of being part of this rival tribe of cavemen. Right away, you're just bludgeoned with how crazy this movie is going to be once they enter the dinosaur world. Well, what's interesting is, I think, if I recall correctly, it starts with them seeing each other, and it's Jamie and Forey, like, head-to-head, and they both are screaming at the, like, sheer existence of each other. <laughs> and, and either they both pass out, or at least Forey passes out, which makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. Because Forey lives with humans, where yeah. these humans have never seen a talking dinosaur in their entire life. But uh, Forey is definitely also the worrywart of the film. He, he's the one who's uh, constantly pointing out everything that's going wrong. Yeah. And- what does Forey sound like, Phil? Like, give us a <laughs> give us a little sample. So uh, you know, kind of your classic situation is somebody walks in and says, "Oh, we got to go to the dinosaur graveyard," and Forey then responds, "The dinosaur graveyard? We can't go there! No!" <laughs> That's, that's spot on. That's not even an exaggeration. That's exactly how he sounds like. And he's also responsible for a lot of the adult humor that's throughout the movie. There's like a lot of adult humor. This is a surprising movie. Fori is this tiny little gross pterodactyl puppet. And he's constantly, like, ogling human women. There's, like, a close-up of one of these cave women and her, like, ass, and it cuts right to, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> and it's so disconcerting. And he's, like, this little gross little freakazoid. Can I remind you, though, that there's, like, a brief hint of their romance later in the film? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. At the end... not brief. They were in your face about it. But there's... A nuclear reactor that runs a volcano that I mm-hmm. guess like keeps it from erupting. Yes, much that, like actual nuclear reactors in mm-hmm. the real world. Which of course gets stolen and they spend the rest of the movie trying to find it, but that is such a weird choice to make to have like this really super modern, almost futuristic technology in the middle of this otherwise prehistoric world. Yeah, it's this bizarre kind of blue colored la- lantern that they just all, it's like a battery. They pop it out and suddenly there's going to be a meltdown because this has been keeping the volcano at uh, at bay. I think to some extent they just wanted to raise the stakes too because the kids get sent to this world and it's like, whoa, this is volcanic. These are dinosaurs, man. But that kind of ups it a little bit because they could possibly die. They don't know. Like, if that volcano goes, it's bye-bye. I see what you're saying. It's a high-stakes game. Well, exactly. You know, you brought up a few good points, Lindsay, (laughs) now that the juices are really flowing here. Uh, First of all, I think... uh, 
yeah, it's higher stakes because, like, they could die. But also, these kids are, like, attached to this show. This yeah. is their, like, breaking bad for these yeah. kids. That's and true. so to have Sore yeah. City, like, this place they're so meant, this fictional world they're so mentally invested in, actually burn down in real life would be devastating to oh, them. Yeah. So they've got multiple levels of concern. The other thing you brought up is the fact that there is their own um, sort of diction, not just in this alternate dimension, but everybody seems to revolve their diction around uh, prehistoric times with terms like yeah. volcanic, and uh, which would be used in a sentence like, yeah. oh man, did you see me on my skateboard? That was volcanic. Or thunderin. <laughs> thunderin was another yeah. one. Gimme claw. Gimme claw, yeah. When Do you they think want to that this. Five. It's interesting because I'd understand if this movie was set after Jurassic Park came out and, like, the dinosaur craze, dinosaur fever was just sweeping the nation. Do you think that these three kids are just obsessed with this cartoon or do you think the whole world is just. Saying, talking to each other like this. All I know is that I was obsessed with dinosaurs on this yeah. level, so watching these kids were like, oh my kind. They get it. They're here. I have a, just a few <laughs> slight problems with this movie. Um, and that is, if they know Dinosaur City so well, they've watched this tape a million times. It might even be a series of tapes. Why are they so inept at getting around in this world? Like, shouldn't they know every in and out? Like, they seem to not know a whole lot about what's going on. Though, at yeah. the same time, Timmy brings up that point. He said, he, he gives a whole inspiring speech, I think somewhere in the dinosaur graveyard. Yeah. It's already a fuzzy memory. <laughs> but at some point, Timmy makes the point, like, we know this place better than anyone! Yeah. <laughs> Which is not true at no. all, I feel like. No. No. Because they... Fori says, we gotta stop the Rockies and save Shore City. And so they go off no. to find this reactor. Let me just point out, Fori is a pretty hopeless character. So to him, it's not, we've gotta stop this. It's more like, we're as good as dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he can't really If it was up to him, they would have just fly. stayed there. Yeah. He's so small, he couldn't even walk fast enough to get there either. What they realize is they need to find the protagonists of their favorite show, who oh, are yeah. none other than Rex and Tops bipedal humans with huge dinosaur heads that talk and wear like bomber jackets and hoodies and no martial arts. Yeah. I mean they they're the ninja turtles of the movie. Yeah, it's true. Essentially, but they don't care about pizza. And uh, they've realized really the only way to get to them is through the dinosaur graveyard, which is Surprisingly, much like human graveyards, full of tombstones and gates, and it's a very kind of spooky, mysterious yeah. area. I remember as a little kid thinking, like, Dinosaur Graveyard is about as scary as it got. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, there's the scene I mentioned earlier where something from the swamp grabs Mick, and he almost dies, but he gets away in time. Yeah. For Mick, when he falls, this is also what helps make him cooler and not quite so nerdy, because it messes up his hair, remember? It's true. Takes all that nerdy gel out of his hair. Which, you know, is all it takes for anybody to kind of turn around their entire personality yeah. and kind of aura. Well, it's interesting, because of the three kids, Timmy's arc is that he sort of finds acceptance of the dinosaurs and really has a serious decision about whether or not he wants to stay there. Mm -hmm. But the other two kids is just like them becoming slightly more attractive, I feel like is their character yeah. arc. And then starting their own relationship. Yeah. So this kind of leads us to what's a big ripoff of the Star Wars cantina scene where they go to meet <laughs> Han Solo. This is actually 
one of the, my favorite scenes of the movie when they go to this crazy dinosaur bar. Well, it's dinosaurs and cavemen that are Rockies at this bar. And this is when the adult humor really kicks up a notch, too. Oh, yeah. These, this is a highly sexualized environment. And the dinosaurs the are yeah. highly sexualized. You've got, like, a female triceratops with, like, huge boobs. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, right off the bat, we've got these two kind of ghouly-looking bartenders who, one of the first things I remember them saying is, Hey, you gotta pay for that, jerk-off! <laughs> Which is some pretty strong language for a kid's movie. It's really movie. strong language for a kid's movie. <laughs> and it's kind of like, why did they think that... And especially if this is like a made-for-TV movie. I'm still unclear on that if this is in theaters or not. But uh, it, what a weird choice to have them act that way. But, it uh, added yeah. to the grittiness of the bar scene, I yeah. think. You know, yeah. this is an adult locale. Well, it's a dive, yeah. And it's also showing that... Rex and Tops are pretty gritty themselves. They're not really jumping forward to be heroes. It's true. What the cartoon showed these kids are like, Rex and Tops are these, yeah, you're right, just totally good old boy heroes all the time. But then we're finding out in this dimension, they're kind of seedier people that have sold yeah. out on their values and are really just in it for money. Yeah, they were too busy gambling to really pay attention to the kids, and the kids ended up having to kind of confront them and be like, but what about this thing that happened in the show? You guys are so cool. What's I'm happened? I'm surprised that's what moves them, though. Because I mean, isn't that ultimately why they come along? Because they seem to know what they're talking about? Yeah. I don't even know. It's, all, <laughs> it's also unclear to me, do they understand that their character's in a TV show? That kind of goes it's, back and forth, too so bizarre. I feel like this movie, they, when they were writing it, they just didn't decide what they were going to do, so they just threw it all in. Well, I feel like Rex, though, is very clearly just on his, is telling his own story the entire time. He doesn't listen to what yeah. anybody else has to say. Rex has his whole, like, finding his dad storyline. It has nothing to do it with anything. so out of place. And... And Rex is just such a not compelling character. We've already done an impression of uh, Fori's voice. And Rex just kind of like, yeah, so what? If Source City burns, it burns, right? And it's just kind of yeah. like, he's just so apathetic the whole time. And I mean, Tops isn't much better, I Even think. when he finds his long-lost father and they reconnect, it's just like, oh, Dad, it's you. <laughs> but this is why you guys call him the Keanu Reeves. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I mean, he's, he's like straight out of Point Break. He's, like, yeah. Basically, a big Roadhouse-style bar brawl breaks out. And we see right away that... Rex and Tops have all these cool, like, choreographed uh, ninja moves that they do. I was going to say, they have their own fighting styles, though. Tops is quite the uh, kung fu artist. You see a lot of high kicks. You yeah. can kick over his shoulder, in fact. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very impressive for a Triceratops. Whereas Rex is just brutal force. <laughs> all the time. Just snapping necks and <laughs> punch <laughs> after punch after punch. Most of the fight scene was just them sliding guys across the bar floor. Well, this was a greasy time in prehistoric <laughs> history. Everybody just was slipping and sliding. And I was just delighted with the running commentary by the ghoulie bartenders who were just kind of like, Who's gonna pay for this mess? <laughs> <laughs> they sound a lot like Fury in my mind. <laughs> they do, they do. Eventually all things merge into one. Yep, exactly. But so, uh, you know, this brings us to a good point. We've got to the bar fight scene of this film, and what I should point out to kind of help listeners try to piece together what this kind of insane plot line we're throwing yeah. at you. It really does follow, as Sean pointed out, a classic three-act structure, and to me, pretty much every Avengers or superhero movie as of late 
where you meet the troubled heroes that aren't quite inspired to do good yet. Mm -hmm. Then they get into their first fight, win. It's kind of the false success. And then there's kind of the, like, low, low kind of settled down time where they think everything's fine or they're preparing for the next battle, but it's kind of that build up to then the final build. So having just come out of the high success of the uh, bar brawl, now we kind of settle into their... uh, their retreat in the woods. They're sort of second act doldrums. Sort of figuring out what's going on. Which to me is my favorite because the most transpires intellectually. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. It's it's compelling stuff. And you really get to know the characters a lot more, right? Because we have them kind of talking to each other. Timmy connects with Rex about Rex's past. Well, this is, honestly, to me, this is like straight out of Hook, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, if you haven't picked up on this yet, listeners, this film is just a collaboration of stolen scenes from films. Though, maybe inspiration from other films. But yeah. this is definitely the treehouse night scene in Hook. Yeah. To the point that... Before he actually meets Tinkerbell, more or less. Oh, did that's this, a great scene. <laughs> wait, did, did, was this made after Hook? It was around the same it time. Have, yeah. It must have been the same time, huh? I like to think that oh they filmed God. all these movies at the same time. And Adventures in Dinosaur City basically said, Could you not break down the set for one more day? We're going to film our <laughs> shitty version of this. I mean, yeah. It's, uh, I want to hear more about this Tinkerbell scene, but... You know, it's worth mentioning, we do call this a low-budget movie, but it is ambitious. Just the number of sets, everything is practical. I mean, I guess there's, like, matte paintings and things like that, but nothing is CGI, as far as I can Mm -hmm. tell. Like, tons of puppets and different creatures, and this must have been, like, a hundred-day shoot just to get all these different, like, really heavily choreographed, like, fight scenes... That it's like every town had that one high school that took out all the stops on their musical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah like totally. uh, like Scarlet Pimpernel comes to mind. Thank you. Philip. It is kind of funny when you see those aerial shots and stuff, and you can tell it's a really small scale model that they made. They're just blowing up. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a handful of that, too. But, yeah, how is this treehouse lit? I'm so, sort of intrigued. So, I mean, we have nuclear power. Is that what we're using to light the treehouse? No, 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 no. Well, I, I, to be honest, I don't even really recall where they are when they're in this, like, <laughs> rainforest. And the way I'm recalling it at this moment is that Fori kind of leads them there. Maybe the one useful thing Fori does this entire film. And he gets there, and there's kind of like a firefly creature that suddenly kind of comes out of nowhere. And it makes like this chimey sound where it goes, beep, 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 beep. And Fori, <laughs> of course, also having wings, is able to communicate with this uh, Tinkerbell creature. And responds with, <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like. I thought Fori was just mocking this thing. Oh no, I assumed he knew its language. And then oh. after a bit he was just kind of like, eh, I don't need to do this, just light it up. No, that's yeah. what he says. He says, enough of the small talk already, just light up the place. <laughs> Fori is such a dick throughout the movie. Oh, but then that's not it. Fori also, yeah, no, this is totally what's going on. Because then if you notice, it's a it's a whole, uh, like, murder of bats that pull <laughs> up a stringed cart to lift Fori up into the tree. Because, again, Fori isn't I willing to fly. I forgot about that. And it's, yeah. it's just because apparently any winged creature that's smaller than him, he has superiority to in this kind of hierarchy of... I also like that he rubbed it into the other guys who had to actually climb the trees themselves. And he's like, nope, I'm taking the basket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it only fits me. <laughs> 
Pretty much, pretty much. It's funny because there's so much going on in this movie. Like, you, we've just mentioned a few things that I'd forgotten just because it's so jam-packed with things happening. And yet so little happens plot-wise. <laughs> like, almost you could summarize the movie, the actual plot of the movie in probably a sentence or two. So There's so many little set pieces and action sequences and so many fights and, like, weird yeah. puppet interactions. Well, I'd like to note, this is the point where they're up in the trees that our uh, nerdy boy and girl become less nerdy. She takes note of his now cool hair. Oh, yeah. And then they kind of, she's already lost her glasses. Which he stepped on. Which, yeah, he stepped on during the cantina fight. And uh, so they're having a moment, and they go for a kiss, and she just tosses out her retainer. Because obviously she can get by without her glasses or her retainer. Neither of them matter anymore. You know what would be really disturbing is if she thought she was getting lucky with Rex in that scene and not Meg. <laughs> she just couldn't see yeah. her. She thought... What long, mighty tail you have, Rex. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been a great opportunity <laughs> for sure a gag. I'm sure that's a deleted scene somewhere. Probably. Sure enough, the Rockies are coming back to cause trouble, but this time they have their, their sworn leader with them, and that is Mr. Big, the Allosaur, oh, who's yeah. the last of the Allosaurs, as we learned from the ancient Rex-Allosaur battle. He looks exactly like Rex, except he has a horn on his nose and a big cloak like the Emperor. Which is not, for you dinophiles out there, is not accurate. Allosaurus yeah, Allosaurus looks have... exactly like a T-Rex, pretty much, right? Yeah. Except sl- smaller. Smaller, yeah. three claws, longer arms. And that's about it. So, they, uh, they took some liberties here with this. And he's wearing a black leather jacket, so you really know he's a bad guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The rhetoric that they're throwing at us here is that T-Rexes are good and Allosauruses are bad. Seems to be the case. Because they had thought that they'd wiped out this entire race of evil (laughs) Allosaur, but uh, there's still this one, Mr. Big. Doesn't that make him kind of a victim originally of the T-Rexes? Well, there's massive ethnic cleansing that (laughs) took place before this movie began. Though, should I point out, (laughs) actually, maybe I shouldn't. I was about to say, that's accurate, though, in the sense that the Allosaurs were during the Jurassic period. Mm. To be to be replaced by T Rexes during the Cretaceous. The problem with that is that there really wasn't crossover. Well, no. maybe there was. Maybe this is how it happened. Yeah. Science has got it wrong to this point. Yeah, this could be exactly how it happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've just believed what the lamestream media has told us about the dinosaurs. Hey, can uh, I just point out? Thinking back to uh, Mr. Big's leather jacket, can I point out that all the dinosaurs wear real clothes? Yeah, and all the cavemen just wear like skins and furs i did not think about that once and it's gotta make you think what's the textile industry like i think honestly what it is i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate and be on the side of the movie here if we're to believe this is a uh, a world in which humans have come onto the scene and are now coexisting with dinosaurs the dinosaurs are still the top species they're the ones that run everything and, mm-hmm. and humans are lower, uh, are a lower group of organisms, a lower case. species. Yeah, lower case. Thank you. And so they have to fend for themselves, and they're dumber. We can clearly see it. They they just are your traditional cavemen who are just complete boneheads. So I don't think that they've learned how to uh, take the hides off cows and make leather jackets yet. But the dinosaurs have. The dinosaurs have. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Okay, so anyways, our peaceful treehouse scene. 
is then disturbed by the the Rockies and Mr. Big. Mm-hmm. And they come to... What's their purpose again? I guess they want to kill Rex, or I don't I know. I think so, because Rex is the only one that's a threat, right? Because his dad was a leader. Yeah. And then everyone thought he betrayed the all the T-Rexes and went with the Allosauruses, and that's why he's currently he, in He jail. gave the key to Source City to Mr. Big, and yeah. that was yeah. the ultimate betraying act. There's this whole smear campaign of uh, Rex's supposedly dead dad. Yeah, and so I feel like... Rex is the the only like the only piece that's missing in uh, Mr. Big's total takeover. That's true. Yeah. Rex also holds he wears the key to Sora City around his neck at all times to remember that my father once was a good person. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, he's completely apathetic about. I mean, he's told right off the bat that Sora City's gonna get. Like crushed by lava, and he says something really like nihilistic about well, that. Well, Top like, says, "I'll bring the marshmallows." Oh, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah, it's like you realize that includes you, right? <laughs> so, anyways, they get disturbed by the Rockies, and a whole second brawl breaks out here in in the woods at night. Um, but a new technology emerges, and that is the remote that the kids yeah. use to get them into this new dimension. Timmy finds, and he uses it to actually pause people in real life. So a caveman's about to bash his skull in with a big rock club, and he pauses the caveman, adding a whole new layer to the yeah. realm of possibilities here. Which, I'll, I'm going to get your guys' thoughts on this. I think that's a layer too far. Like, this is already a really crowded movie. There's a lot a lot of brain candy here to, to piece together. Do we really need, like, an Adam Sandler click-style remote, like, on top of all this craziness? Can like, I just point out, Dinosaur City did it first. I, I know. it. I agree. But it's I, too yeah, far. I, mean, it's, it's, I think it's not necessary for the film as a whole. All the problems of this movie could have been solved if he discovered that remote control sooner. It's yeah. just, I, that's my problem with it, is that it kind of, it's kind of like introducing time travel. All of a sudden it's like, well, why don't you just always use that? Why don't you go yeah. back and kill Voldemort when he's a child sort of thing. It's like it's too powerful of a technology Mm -hmm. to be introduced to this already crazy story. I also feel like the remote is used super sparingly. You basically only see it freeze a person once. If you weren't paying attention, like really paying attention, you'd almost kind of miss that that even happened. It's Mm -hmm. a really just a side note in all of this. I was also just thinking, how does the remote operate? Like, then you're bringing in problems of... A remote interacts with a TV. Are they inside the TV? Are they existing in a different dimension? Like, how does this actually work? How is it able to also just pause one person? How does it not pause the entire scene? It's The rules aren't quite established. It's just, it's just kind of odd, so that's where it feels out of place. But... The remote does have an important purpose from this point forward, I should mention. And that is, uh-huh. once uh, Mr. Big, the Allosaur, sees the sheer power of this remote, he instantly realizes he must have it in order to accomplish world domination. <laughs> oh, and so, yeah. suddenly the, the goal is, get that remote no matter what happens. And sure enough, the cavemen are able to both kidnap Timmy and get his remote, but are having trouble working it as they uh, rush towards Mr. Big's weird 
tower made of tents. It reminds me of like a prehistoric space needle sort of thing that he has going on. Well, I kind of almost imagine, you know, it's funny, growing up in Christian Visalia reminded me of, uh, in the Bible, there's the Tower of... Uh, Babel? Yeah, the Tower of Babel. And it's the people trying to build up, like, to heaven and, you know. Yeah, yeah a lot of Christ imagery in this movie. <laughs> <clearly>. <laughs> <laughs> Forey really being the Jesus creature. Yeah, the baby Jesus. <laughs> the baby Jesus. No, but the tower just... Ultimately, you know, what, what we should point out is nothing about this world is great. It's really a dystopia we're operating in. I think at one yeah. point I pointed yeah. out it's very much like Mad Max when we're in there for a while. Oh, just yeah. Just kind of this, like, outlaw, worn down, like, in the desert. But we ultimately end up at the ground zero, the evil lair, Mr. Big's yeah. uh, tower. Which, going back to the dystopian thing, that was a really strong choice because it could have just as easily been a movie about a really happy dinosaur city that they come into. Oh, and it's threatened by this, by the, by Mr. Big. We've got to save Dinosaur City, yeah. and it would be. It almost seems like there's nothing much to save. Yeah, there. I agree. This kind of dystopian feel made me think of Dark Crystal. It's every film, guys. Yeah, it's really every film. <laughs> So we end up in the tower, and now now the stakes are at their highest because poor Timmy is being <laughs> hung above a pool of lava, if I recall correctly, yeah. or oh, a yeah. fire of some sort. Oh, yeah. And they're asking him, how does the remote work? They're Teach torturing him yep. to, to understand how to work a remote that just has buttons on it. It's so odd. Well, you may have missed this the first time around. Having seen it probably about 45 times as a uh -huh. kid, you pick up on this. It's because he had taken the batteries out. Oh, Little does the audience I know. I completely that. missed that detail. He did not wow. notice that at all. That makes so much sense. So then later, Timmy gets knocked out of there, and he grabs the remote, and he puts the batteries in, and he's able to not oh. just pause Mr. Big, but disintegrate him into kind of... Uh, uh, audio-visual right. uh, this, is, this is like 80s. Memento. I feel yeah. like I need to see it again just to understand what it wow. is. Wow, that's real. That's a lot better than I was thinking. I was just like, oh, these guys are dumb. They're not even pushing the buttons. Yeah. Yeah. Batteries, guys. But so they get there, and uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I have a few notes here for this final end of it. Rex gets in there, and he, he basically says, like, I, I can handle this. And you're really not sure because they're pretty outnumbered here. And he really just flies all of a sudden. Like, you can't explain it any yeah, other way. He flies nuts. across the entire room and tackles about four people all at once. Which is really crazy. I think he's supposed to just be super strong, so he jumps really well. Yeah. Oh, listeners, in case you were thinking we were actually going to kind of wrap up the plot of this. But wait, there's more. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> so a lot. Another on subplot here. going on in... Mr. Big's Dark Tower is a uh, there's a whole dungeon of uh, miserable dinosaurs that are just groaning with their hands chained and uh, to, first of all to infiltrate this prison which it's a little unclear why they even have to infiltrate it in the first place but to do so um, Jamie really has to embrace her newfound oh, sexuality and so uh, to do so they kind of uh, skank up her uh, fur outfit a little more she takes off her glasses lets down her hair and then she goes and approaches some cavemen and is really trying to seduce them. And what we get in the trailer, but not the actual yeah. film, is a line where Jamie says, um, Excuse me, I heard somebody was getting off. 
Which, which is so such a dirty crazy. line. I can't believe they had that in the trailer. Oh, and you know, I completely forgot about this until just now, but when that orange at the very beginning of the film, when that flies out of the television, it hits a big illustration of gonads that had been on the wall. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. so there's like what? a ton of I adult humor. That. Yeah, it was kind of like a anatomical cross-section of which, gonads. Oh, which, yeah. why would, I mean, they're not biologists. Why would they have <laughs> that on the wall? I mean, those two spend a lot of time in that in that lab together. Maybe they just need to spice things up. I guess. Guess so, but anyway, we, okay, we're in the dinosaur prison. We're in the prison. What could possibly be in the dinosaur prison? I mean, his dad's dead, right? Oh my God, <laughs> we were wrong about everything. Papa Rex has been imprisoned this whole time. You can tell he's an old T Rex because his scales are a little darker, and he's got a real wrinkly neck. Yeah, and there's a, there's some frosting around his lips. Oh, that's right. It's kind of like a dog that is like <laughs> yeah. fur around his mouth is starting to whiten. So Rex must just be overwhelmed with emotion upon seeing his dad, who he thought was both a traitor and dead. Does he scream? Does he cry? How does he react? He basically goes, oh, hey, dad. <laughs> and that's kind of it, right? His dad is more emotional. Yeah, his dad's... Very much an old Rex dinosaur, and he basically goes on to explain that turns out Allosaurus had this crazy potion that made you bend to their will. So mm-hmm. really, when he handed the when he betrayed all of Sor City by handing the key to uh, Mister Big, he wasn't in control of his own faculties. Again, so complicated is the mythology of this movie. I'm as we're unpacking it right now. I'm trying to figure out how this wasn't like three hours long because <laughs> so much happens in this movie and yet nothing at all at the same time. With Rex, it's not a character issue. It's really just that actor. He was so flat. Yep. When he was your favorite character as a kid, wasn't he? Well, Rex? I think as a, like a four-year-old, like yeah. you really respond to just the very noble, flat, yeah. you know, person who's who's not conflicted with like various emotions. When you grow up and realize life's a lot harder than that, and character goes much mm-hmm. deeper. Yeah, you know, you're more impressed with the fouries of the world. Yeah, the four yeah. four is the clear MVP here. Well, through my I mean, eyes. I think Rex is the winner with costume. He's wearing a cool bomber jacket and jeans, so... It's a bomber jacket that looks like a hoodie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but, <laughs> back to the prison. But I digress. Uh, does anything else happen in the prison? I think Tops lets a Triceratops out, which is sort of a nod to, like, you're like one of me. One thing I missed, why did they leave his dad in the prison? Oh, that's right. So... You know what? When I say that's right, I mean there isn't a good explanation. Because <laughs> I just was not clear on that. I was There's certain of... holes in this plot. No, um, supposedly uh, <laughs> Papa Rex somehow has to go like knock a peg out from under the tower to make the meltdown happen oh, there. Oh yeah. Uh, okay, Watching right. it this time around, all I can like trying to make this like make any sort of sense is like. All the lava under Sore City and all of this dinosaur world, the pressure is mounting. And uh, 
in order to relieve the pressure of the lava that's going to bubble over and take over Source City, he's got to now let relieve some of that pressure here at Mr. Big's Tower. It's one of those uh, movie cliches that perhaps was started by this movie, who knows, <laughs> where it's like someone has to make the noble sacrifice. You have to click the detonator because at, at the location because there's not enough time for us to get away. It's like something's broken, you have to do it manually. Yeah. To like, so someone has to make the noble sacrifice. It's true. They really included everything in this film. <laughs> Every element of a film that you would come to expect is here. And they did it first. You saw it in Dinosaur yeah. City first. Yeah, it's true. It's the hero's journey. It's the noble sacrifice. It's coming the of age story. Coming of age story. Uh, sexual awakening. Uh, <laughs> It's everything you could ever want. Whatever's going on with Fori and that Tinkerbell thing. Environmental issues. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so, don't worry, listeners. There is an ending to this film, believe it or not. I feel like it, we're still living it. So, the climax all happens that they have the reactor, but all, all bets are off. The world is about to go upside down. Lava is starting to erupt left and right. What are they going to do? Well, they're in the tower. But they can't take the uh, reactor charger out of the tower because then the elevators won't work. Duh. Duh. <laughs> so somebody's got to stay behind. Again, the same sacrifice story. Well, this is when really the hero of the story comes into his own. Fori says, I will stay behind. But Fori can't fly. We've no. been carrying him the whole movie. <laughs> Which, me, that's another one of those uh, side things where... The kids know from the show that Fori can fly. He just chooses not to because of uh, mental insecurities he yeah, has. psychological and, scarring. And they tell this to Fori, and he doesn't really deny it either, but just yeah. uh, just kind of goes with it. Anyway, so Fori, he waits for the kids, for the whole crew to get down in the elevator and escape uh, from the tower. And then he pulls out the reactor. So that it's the make it or break it moment. Can Fori survive? Can Fori fly? And sure enough... He takes a leap of faith. He takes a leap of faith. And you think he's going to die for a second. It's a... Great... I wouldn't put it past this movie to flatten Fori in the last reel. It's a great shot of Fori just coming straight into the camera, face first, screaming. Whoa! <laughs> but then in the last possible second, he flaps those little froggy arms and uh, takes off into into the sunset or sunrise or whatever dystopian kind of twilight he's in. If he's going to conquer this impotence that he has, this sort of psychological block, is now when all this pressure is on him, is this really the time to trust Fori? I mean, it does work out, but the odds would have said that it wouldn't, you I know, feel like. Preceding this, though, he did get that kiss from the Rocky woman. Oh, yeah. Our Miss Mae West impersonator. Oh, yeah. There is a whole Mae West side thing going on, too. Because what film is complete without that? (laughs) So, sure enough, the whole gang gets back to the reactor just in time. Yeah. Meltdown is imminent. It's about to bubble over. Within seconds. Within seconds. And Fori uses his little clammy claws to push the reactor right back in there. And they're back in business. Source City is once again... Uh, safe for a little while longer. 
What happens to Mr. Big? I don't even remember now. He was remember deleted Mr. with the remote. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Mr. Big gets uh, kind of dissipated into the ether of this world. Yeah, that was that was really chilling. <laughs> Bone chilling to watch. <laughs> uh, but I should mention, um, they do show that when after uh, Papa Rex does his du- duty of, I guess, releasing the lava, he just kind of sits down next to it and accepts his fate of I guess getting burned alive by lava, which they don't show, sadly. Well, you know, he got his redemption. He was able to clear his name. What really is there left for him to do except die in a fiery death? (laughs) Terrible, (laughs) terrible extinction. And Rex just seems really calm about it. He doesn't seem the least bit affected by any of this. I mean, I guess he did think he was dead for years. Yeah, that's true. Huh. He'd already gotten over that, I guess. You know, everybody deals with things in their own ways, guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for a Rex to show emotion. Yeah. So this brings us to uh, young Timmy deciding whether or not he's really going to go home or if he's going to stay with the dinosaurs. Which, I, if I recall, you actually have Rex and Tops and everybody saying, like, yeah, go back home. And then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got little fucking Forey. <laughs> you got Forey who says, Wait, we were just starting to get along. <laughs> Shouldn't you stay here? We could be friends forever. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're going to listen to Fori. Which, I think this scene would have worked better if we'd had any idea what their actual lives were like in school. Or with yeah. their other friends. Or any... We're... The, our whole idea of Earth is just at the scientist's house. In his mm-hmm. bedroom and in their parents' basement. Which so, is a very 90s basement which, and house, yeah. by the oh, yeah. way. And so we don't really know what the choice is. I mean, is he happy or is he like a maladjusted kid who like turns to this dinosaur tape for solace or? Well, he seems to make it that, oh, back home's boring. This is exciting. Yeah. Kind of reasoning. Not that he's necessarily suffering. I mean, we know his parents are never there. (laughs) They're either in the basement throwing oranges at their gonads poster or they're running off to some science fair. (laughs) Like every scientist. Yeah. So anyways, you know what's coming. Timmy makes a hard decision and realize they get back into the dimension and it's kind of like, whoa, that just happened. I'd like to pause for a second and note that when we started up this tape, this is the, the moment where he decided to go home was when young Philip last turn this tape off. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. we know this because we had a little bit of a scare with our VCR. Um, we we brought the VCR over to Phil's house and uh, put in the tape. It, he was not kind. He did not rewind. And when we went to rewind it, the tape got sort of chewed up a little bit. And there was a little bit of a moment like, uh-oh, are we not going to be able to watch Adventures in Dinosaur City? And it was kind of this like push and pull of do we take out the tape? Do we put it back in? Uh, finally, Philip had the idea to, to turn the power. I guess it was on and off. Yes, the and classic. And then the, the classic on and off. We put it back in, rewound. There's a little bit of a, but then it successfully rewound. My point is, part of the tape was crinkled, and the part of the tape that was crinkled was wherever four or five year old Philip had decided, eh, I'm done with this movie. <laughs> I've seen enough. 
And it's right at the moment when we're going back to the human world. So we know what Phil would have chosen if he was in Timmy's place <laughs> as to which world he would have gone to. That's totally true. That's totally true. I'm pretty sure I turned off the film right there and then just like put on a dinosaur costume and tore around the backyard yeah. after that for yeah. a while. Because, oh, who wants to deal with this real world? Which, I wonder if you all... Do you remember if you'd fast-forwarded the beginning of the movie, all the non-dinosaur parts? I think I did. I, I think I wanted to just be completely enveloped in this magical other dimension. This and have d- dinosaur dystopia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's true. And once they get back, it's kind of like, no more dinosaurs, no more Rex, no more Fory. Fuck this. Not a lot happens once they get back. It seems yeah. like, uh... Well, there is kind of a, a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end, you could say. Room for a sequel, maybe? Oh, that's true. So they get back, and they're coming outside, and apparently their little trip into dystopian dinosaur city uh, was just the same amount of time it takes for a science couple to go to an out-of-town conference and present their new findings. And they get back... And they say, you have to come to the basement, we have to show you something. And the parents, of course, are livid, saying, were you in the basement? You know you weren't supposed to be in there. They go into the basement, the door closes, and from outside of the house, you hear the sounds of everyone being zapped into another dimension. (laughs) The god knows what dimension. It's funny, too, because then you have the question of where did they go? They had to have used the dinosaur tape, like, the dinosaur's tape the only VHS they own. So then, were they transported to that same moment? Flory would be like, yay, you're back! <laughs> and Rex would be like, no, you, you guys can't be here. No, no, it'd be more like this. Well, you guys, you can't be here, <laughs> I think. <laughs> i tell you about my dad. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. An hour in the dinosaur world is an hour in our world, right? It's basically like a 48-hour period, isn't it? Yeah, because they spend a night or two in Dinosaur yeah. City, and I think that's yeah. about accurate. It sounds about right. I don't think they eat food the entire time they're yeah. in Dinosaur City. No, they do. They order cocktails that are full of worms and all sorts of critters. Those gooey bartenders it. are totally willing to serve underage kids. Oh, like yeah. Bubbling volcano bourbon and things like that. So, you know, I, I think we've covered this soup to nuts. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And so, which begs the question, you know, Phyllis is your tape. Uh, we have a system on tape heads, as you probably know. It's... Do you buy it? Do you rent it? Do you tape over it? What's your choice? I, I've gone through a roller coaster. <laughs> before I before we put this on, I was I had watched the trailer to refresh some memories, and I was almost certain I was going to say tape over it. And then watching it through, it was just why don't I watch this film every day? It's a perfect movie. But then you know, being able to level out, I will say I think rent it. I think it's highly entertaining. I think anybody that hasn't seen it before could get kind of a little tipsy and enjoy just from start to finish every aspect of this film. But it's certainly not one you're going to be watching on a weekly, monthly, or even yeah. annual basis. Maybe maybe every other year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go rent it, too. This was not a movie that I grew up with, but I really recommend <laughs> everyone watching it at least once because it is such a crazy movie. It is such an artifact of the time in which it was made. We would never have a movie like this again with the practical effects and the sense of humor. And it is just such an odd, odd film. I I mean, I could see myself watching this again. Just maybe not every day like (laughs) four-year-old Phil. I'm also rent it. It was just so much fun. 
It's just a really goofy movie. Like, if you have some beers and some people over, I feel like this would be great to turn on. Yeah, maybe don't watch this alone if you're older than, say, six years old. But uh... Yeah, I don't know if it's good to watch alone. It might just make you a little sad. <laughs> it's true. And I think true. you can still find this movie. It's not that obscure. I had yeah. just never heard of it. Well, I think we just discovered you can watch the entire film on YouTube for free right now. So. Yeah, we, we were just going through that. We, we watched the Tinkerbell scene. <laughs> we like to review certain key scenes of the movies before recording, but all that was really required was... <laughs> new ringtone. Oh, perfect, perfect. Phil, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor. Tapeheads is a wonderful show. And uh, for those of you just tuning in for the first time, I highly suggest you listen to everything before this and everything to come. That's really sweet of you. Well, speaking about what's to come, uh, we're going to be in December next episode, and we're dipping back into Lindsay's collection. Are you... I think that we're going to be doing a certain Christmas movie. We will be doing a Christmas movie. It's the holiday season, and we're going to do one of my old favorites, Jingle All the Way, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. In my head right now, I was just thinking, jingle all the way, jingle all the way, jingle all the way. I, I just love it because I grew up watching, my dad's a huge action movie fan, uh-huh. so I grew up watching all kinds of like martial arts movies and action movies, so I just loved seeing Arnold in a kid's movie. Like It was like, finally a movie for me. Was this your ultimate bonding film? Of yeah. Like, oh, good. Uh, what was your experience with Jingle All the Way, Phil? Did you, was that one that you saw on VHS or in theaters? You know, I just know I saw it when I was really little, and, and I remember understanding the plight of both the kid and, the, and uh, Arnold in the sense of having that one toy, having like the Megazord or whatever it was that year was like all that mattered. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I just have a vague recollection of him running around New York City during the Thanksgiving Day Parade, and it just being shenanigans from yeah. start to finish. So a lot of Sinbad in that movie, as oh I recall. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. I'd like to thank Will Price, as always, for use of his song, Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. Oh, damn it. You blew it. Gargantulon. You just lost Will three <laughs> subscribers. Aww. With that display, <laughs> gained whoever is at soundcloud.com slash gargantuan a lot of fame. Oh, um, yeah. If you want to know how to spell gargantulon, you can go on our website, tapeheadspodcast.com, where we link to his SoundCloud. You can also see updates on our new podcast. You can find us on iTunes where you can rate and review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. Can't you also, like, just watch clips of Forey on repeat on your website, like, from start to finish? We will be posting the trailer. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa! (laughs) I wonder if there are gifs of Forey. I bet you there have to be. I sense a big Google uh, party happening after this. (laughs) But unfortunately, we cannot record that. Uh, That's it for Tape Heads. I've been Sean. I've been Lindsay. I've been Philip. I've been (laughs) Forey! Until next time.